0: Welcome to the Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Would you put your hands together and help me to welcome Gibran, who's coming to speak to us today? Good job. All right, glory to God. You guys excited to get in the Word? Come on. What an awesome time of worship that we had, right? Come on, somebody. There's something that happens when we begin to engage in worship and we begin to sing and lift our voices and clap and make expression to Jesus that it's not just a physical, natural thing, but it's a supernatural, spiritual thing that God does greater, even beyond what we can see when we begin to engage in worship and in praise. I don't know if you can remember in the Old Testament, God set ambush against Israel's enemies because they decided to praise and worship, They didn't have to lift a finger in battle. All they had to do was just lift their hands in worship. Man, worship was so good. I started to get a cramp in my foot, man. I'm I'm like, man, I haven't had cramps since I played, you know, football back in the day. I'm like, man, am I getting older? Worship is really good. Come on, God. Come on, somebody. How many believe that God is good? Amen. All right, we're going to jump in this word. Uh, I know Tim already prayed, but Jesus, I pray you would bless and anoint this Uh, time in your word. Teach us, show us, grow us. God, allow us to hear your voice. Beyond what I say right now, God, uh, on the microphone, God, I pray that you would speak to the hearing of our ears. God, speak to the receiving of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to continue in the series of family and deep wells and we're going to jump back in and we've been having an amazing time so far in this month just highlighting and prioritizing family. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in first with the scripture verse in Psalm 127, just to share this right off the bat. It says, "Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays in wake awake in vain." How many know that God is the one who ultimately builds our families, right? God is the the one that not only ultimately builds our families, he's the one that ultimately builds our lives, he builds our homes. If you're a business owner, he's the one that ultimately builds your business. Every aspect of your life that you desire increase, do you know that is partnering with the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one that's ultimately responsible. And God is, I'm in a a, a kind of a season right now where God is constantly reminding me, I am going to be the one to build. The burden doesn't rest on your shoulders, but it rests on mine. I want to encourage you today that God, let God be the one to build your home, your family, your life, your ministry, your business, your finances, even internally your character. God is the one who's going to build if we allow him to, right? Through faith and obedience. If we allow him, if we give him permission, he's the one that can build. Nobody can build like God can. And I know sometimes in families we encounter seasons where there may be fracture, there may be dysfunction. I mean, you don't, you don't have to raise your hands to, to come in agreement with me. But I know all, probably all of us here, we have some level of fracture, dysfunction, um, issues within our own natural families. And like I said, you don't have to raise your hand because you may be sitting next to them. So I don't want to get you in trouble this morning. But God, God is so big in, in, in his ability to build. He not only can restore But he can fix and mend and heal the broken places that we experience within the relationships that we have within our family. How many believe that? How many have experienced that before? God can heal. God can restore. He's the great restorer. Sometimes we get in places where we lose hope and we think, God, this is beyond repair. This issue that I'm having in my family is beyond fixing. But I'm I'm here to remind you today that Jesus is not only the one that can open blind eyes. He's not only one that can unstop deaf ears and cause those that could not hear to hear again. He's not only, those, he's not only the one that can cause a uh, person who's never walked in his life to get up with strength in his legs to walk. He's not only the one that can call a man that's been dead for four days in a tomb out to life again. He can fix your situation here today, here and now, not just what we read about in the Bible 2,000 years ago. He can fix it, he can heal it, and he can transform it today. So I want to give you hope. I want to remind you of that. If you might have forgotten that, let me be the reminder of that to you today. He's the great restore. Family is, is huge to God. Family is huge to God. I love it in John chapter 1 where it says, to those who have believed in him, to those who have received him, to them he has given the right to become children of God, not subjects of God, not employees of God, not slaves of God, but he's given the right to become children of God. And all throughout scripture, we see the picture of family. God's kingdom is family. He cares so much about family as, as we are in the church, as each individual members of this family, but he cares about our, our units at home too. He cares about our immediate families as well. And, and as we jump back in, we're, we're going to walk along the path as we over the last few weeks have been looking at the lineage of Abraham and and Isaac, we can see different patterns within this bloodline, within this family that God put his hand on. Abraham was a man that God called uh, his friend. He was a friend of God. He walked close with God, but still being a friend of God, Abraham still had to deal with issues internally. Right? He still had to deal with issues on the inside. We can see in a, a scenario, as um, Sam did an amazing job in the past couple weeks walking us down this path, where Abraham, he actually got in a place where he deceived a foreign king and told the king that his wife was his sister, right? Friend of God, but, but also dealing with a level of deception within his own heart. And as time progresses, he ends up having a son, Isaac, and Isaac encounters almost the same situation in a foreign land where he lies to a king about his wife, Rebecca this issue of deception that manifested itself in the friend of God, Abraham, down to his son, now Isaac, right? Isaac deals with this issue of deception. Now, as time passes, Isaac has his own sons. And a time came where there was deception now to his front door, where the time came where he was about to give the birthright, or the blessing of the birthright, and he was deceived. He thought he was going to bless his son Esau, but he got deceived by his wife, Rebecca and he ended up giving the birthright to Jacob as we know deception 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 there's a pattern here there's there's an issue here in this this bloodline this family and we can see it. Back then, it probably wasn't as obvious. It wasn't plain. They didn't sit down and have a discussion. Abraham probably didn't sit his son down and say, hey, man, you know what? I've I got an issue of deception. Watch out in your own life because you're probably going to try to deceive some people. And then Isaac, in turn, probably didn't sit down with Jacob. You know what, Jacob, Esau, your, your, your grandfather had this issue. I had this issue. Now, you're probably going to deal with some level of deception Pro- they probably didn't have, it. we can read in the Bible and see this pattern take place. And even as I highlight this, even in our own lives, even in our own minds, we could probably see issues and patterns of things that are internally passed down from generation to generation, right? From our parents and their parents. That we could even see now in our lives, maybe taking place now in the lives of our children or manifesting itself now in our grandchildren. Things that have been existing for a period of time. And as we fast forward, we see as Jacob reaped what he sowed, or Isaac reaped what he sowed with getting deceived with his son Jacob, having to give him the birthright. Jacob now gets old enough to go and get married, right? It's about the time for him to to branch out and start his own family, and he sees this this girl. He's like, "Oh man, this is the one. She is the one." You ever see? Ever meet somebody and say, "Oh man, they are the one." It could be probably with your own spouse or single people. You don't have to point them out, but you know, they may, they may be, oh, oh, they are the one, right? Jacob sees this girl, and by the way, she's actually his cousin, his first cousin. He sees this girl, Rachel, and he has to approach her father. That's what they did back in these times, right, which was his uncle, his mother's brother. I know times were different back then, okay? They did things a little bit different. So he approached his uncle, which was his future father-in-law, to see if he can marry his daughter, Rachel. He says, okay, you can can marry my daughter, Rachel, but I got one condition. You just got to come serve me. Come work for me for seven years. And Jacob was like, man, that's a long time, but man, Rachel is worth it. Woo! that girl is worth it so I'm gonna put in a time I'm gonna put in seven years so he worked for his uncle slash future father-in-law for seven years and by the time that time expired he's like okay I'm ready to l- let's do this Rachel where you at Rachel where you at Laban jumps in the scene he's like oh you know what Jacob what had happened was but well, you thought I said uh, Rachel I meant Leah you got to marry my other daughter and if you really want to marry Rachel the one who you thought you were going to marry you got to serve me for another seven years Are you serious? 14 years working for these women, which actually are are his first cousins. (laughs) I know, times were different back then, okay? A little bit different. But deception now found its way into Jacob's life where he was reaping a level of deception from his own family, his uncle. He got deceived. When we look at family patterns like this, we... Uh, we tend to shine the light on ourselves, and as, and we should, to look at things we can fix. To look at things that not only that we can fix, because again, God is a master builder, but for the things that God can address within us, within our DNA, within our bloodline, to heal and change from one place to another, from one place of lineage and family to the next, from one generation to another. And and. To do that, I I believe the antidote for that is not to literally do what Michael Jackson sang in his song, I'm not going to sing it for you, but to look in the man in the mirror, right? Because look, you want me to sing it? Oh, come on now, I can't sing. We got baby dedications today. I can't sing this. Man, you're going to want me to sing the whole song if I start out on it? Come on now. I'll, I'll word it for you. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Oh, okay, come on. So, but that's not, that's not altogether the answer because there's only so much looking in the mirror that will change and affect our lives. Because there are things the mirror will not show us. There are things that we cannot look d- directly in the mirror at and fix because iniquitous patterns are just that. They are inside, they are iniquitous. And to really know who I am, it takes. A conversation with God, not just a conversation in marriage. Even a conversation with sometimes the closest people in our world. We got to get face-to-face with God to, for him to determine how things need to change within us, right? Like uh, right now, my mother, she's the only person above me that's still alive generationally. Like my, my grandparents have all passed on, all of them. My father has passed on. It's just my mother. I was blessed to have some great conversations with my dad about his life. I know there's a lot of things he shared with me and probably a lot of stuff he didn't about his life, his journey, his, his successes, his failures. I've had a blessing to, to sit with my grandparents earlier on in life to, just to hear about them. But, but they didn't write any journals or leave any autobiographies or memoirs about their life. So I can't pick up anything to read about some of the things that they dealt with. I need to get face to face with God for him to look inside of me, say, God, what in me needs to change So my son, so my kids, so their kids won't have to encounter the same things. They won't have to deal with the same issues, right? And it takes a conversation face-to-face with God for, for him to get down and show us who we are. For him to show, how many know it's important for us to know who we are? I'm afraid that even in the body of Christ, some of us don't really know who we are. Like, really, like, internally, like, deep down to the, to the depths of who we are. I remember in Luke 18 when there was the publican or the tax collector, and then there was the Pharisee, right, the religious person. The religious person, he stood up and thanked God. I thank you, God, that I'm not all like all these people, these peasants, even this tax collector, you know, these filthy riffraffs of the earth. I'm not like them, but I am a Pharisee. I am the man, right? I fast twice a week. I give my tithes. God, look at what all I do. But the publican, but the tax collector, he fell to the ground. He said, I didn't even, he didn't even see it worthy to lift his face to God and pray. He says, he says, woe is me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. The difference between the two is the publican, he addressed who he was. And the Pharisee addressed what he did. I am versus I do. I do. You ever meet somebody and, and, and your the main premise of your conversation is all that they do? <laughs> oh you know, oh you know me, I did this, I was able to accomplish this, I built this, and, and you know my level of vacation, I got to this place, and you know I'm so talented, I'm so gifted, my talents are just made away for me. I put so much time in it, and it's all about what they do. But what's the what what's at the core of who you are? Sometimes when a person tells you about all that they do, it's just to mask who they really are because they may not want you to know who they really are or they may not even know who they really are so they got to present what's good what's favorable what's admirable about their lives what they worked on what degrees they've gotten if you read the job description in luke 18 it talks about all that it talks about the pharisee was his accomplishments he was a Pharisee, but that's, that's attaining to a level of religious status or education or professional achievement that he's, he's attained to. Nothing about his character, nothing about who he is, but the publican. Oh, woe is me. I am a sinner, God. It takes a conversation with God for him to look deep down in us and reveal who we are to change some of those things. I love that. I love what God does when he reveals to us. So, and sometimes it's, it can be painful Sometimes it could be uncomfortable, but it's a place where God desires for us to move forward and grow. Because in that, we become more like him. Our character is shaped to be more like him. There's a difference between what we do and who we are. And I want to be more like my heavenly father. That's my goal. I want to be more like my heavenly father. All of us as parents, all of us, we can probably look at parenting styles that we have that probably... Over the course of time, we, we know we've made mistakes, right? We know we've done things. We, we know that there's areas that if we could have done better, we would have done better. Areas where we can shore up. I, I long for the day. Actually, it was, it was so funny for my son. He was, he was walking down the hall of our house this week, and he was like, it almost sounded like a worship song, right? He was just like, Dad, you know what? You know, you're a good, good father, Right? Dad, you you know what? You're you're just perfect in all your ways, Dad. That's what you are. You are perfect in all your ways. I'm kidding, you know. And then I woke up from my dream. But I desire. I desire. I desire for, for my kids to say that. Because I know I wake I make far too many mistakes that I wish I can go back and fix because of the things that are inside of me that I've received from my parents and they received from their parents and they received from themselves. God, I gotta get face to face for you with you to look down. And change me. To fast forward as we look at um, Jacob and his story, not only did he deceive, but he was deceived by his uncle. And then greater, as we uh, land to the, to the real point of the message as we look at the life of Joseph, 14 chapters span the life of Joseph between Genesis 37 and Genesis 50. I encourage you to go read it. It's phenomenal what God did in the life of Joseph and how he fixed and restored and mended broken pieces within his family it's amazing to read I, I love the uh, Anna how do you say it? Um, the animated version of the life of Joseph in Joseph King of Dreams. i don't know if you've ever seen that, but um, I mean, that was a powerful movie. I remember we got an, we got one amen on that one <laughs> uh, go back and see it. the movie doesn 't do it justice, but I remember I saw this movie years ago and I've probably seen it like ten times since then, but it, it always gets me in the life of Joseph when he's in this prison and and he's uh, he's declaring that God knows better than he does, and the light is shining through the jail cell. And I, I almost start I, I start to tear up like like every time it gets me. But go and read the passage, and just to give you a, a brief overview, a highlighted, um, a, a walkthrough of it. We're not going to read all these chapters about Joseph, but we see that Jacob is still reaping deception within his own life. Jacob married. Rachel. Rachel was his favorite wife. She eventually had two sons, one Joseph, the younger brothers, and and the Bible literally said that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brothers. He loved him. He demonstrated that by uh, making him a coat of many colors and probably some other things he did just to show how favored Joseph was in his eyes. And his brother's looking at this, like, man, who's this guy, Joseph? Why does he get the best things? Why does he get the best seat? Why does he get this coat of many colors, right? And they literally hated him. The Bible says they hated him to the point that they wanted to kill him, right? So they devised this plan and got an opportunity to try to kill Joseph. And two of the brothers jumped in and said, no, 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 we we can't kill him. Let's do something else. So they threw him in a pit. They threw him in a pit, took his his robe and put a bunch of blood on it, goat blood, took it back to the father and said, you know what, your son, I don't know what happened, but he must have died. Jacob is now thinking that, man, my son, my favorite son, the one I love above all of my other sons is dead. Right? He was deceived by his other sons. So so, so Joseph in this pit, 17 years old, not knowing anything from anything, just in this pit, not knowing what's about to happen to him. His brothers decided to sell him off into slavery. He gets sold into slavery to Potiphar and Potiphar's house. The Bible says as he was in Potiphar's house, God blessed him. God prospered him. The Bible literally says the favor of the Lord was on Joseph that he blessed everything that Joseph did because God was with him. That's huge. God was with him. You say, man, how was God with Joseph because Joseph was, was with God? It's just that simple. How was God with Joseph to the degree that he walked in so much favor? It's easy because Joseph was with God. And sometimes it's easy to say in our walk that we may walk with God and we may not, right? We may be in our own way. We may be doing our own thing. And God says, are you with me? Joseph says, man, God, you are my God. I have no other but you. You are the the foundation on which I rest my life. And God loved that so much that he blessed everything that Joseph put his hands to. Potiphar saw the blessing that was on Joseph's life, and he promoted him to a place within his own house of authority, of prominence, so God was doing stuff, even in the midst of all these issues that, in all these trials that Joseph was encountering along the way as he's getting older. Eventually, Joseph, uh, Joseph encountered Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife tried to get him uh, to get him into sin. And Joseph was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, we ain't doing that. We ain't having all that." She, he rejected Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife uh, basically accused him of sexual impropriety, and that Potiphar had no choice but. To put him in prison. innocent Joseph was innocent, and he was innocently accused, or he was accused, being innocent, of a crime he didn't commit, and now he's facing prison time. Some people believe that it was about 10 to 12 years that Joseph was in prison for something that he didn't do. And can you imagine the time that Joseph is just sitting there, like he's thinking about this, he's thinking about what his brothers did. Man, I wouldn't be here if my brothers wouldn't have Done all that they did to get me in this place. I could imagine all that time just between him and God, all these things running through his mind. He has a a baker and he has uh, the butler of the house that are in prison with him. And Joseph is having these prophetic dreams about their destiny. Joseph is flexing his muscle prophetically while in prison and he interprets their dreams. Their dreams actually end up coming true. And the butler didn't, uh, the baker didn't end up so favorable. He actually lost his life while the butler was released. He told the butler, Don't forget about me. When you go back to Potiphar's house, don't forget to tell him about what I can do. I can interpret dreams. The butler forgot about him, served more present time. Eventually, uh, Potiphar or Pharaoh, excuse me, had these prophetic dreams, two prophetic dreams about what was going to happen in the nation of Egypt. The butler remembered Joseph at that point, finally, that he said, Hey, there's a guy that can interpret your dreams. I want you to go get him out of prison. He got him out of prison. Joseph accurately interpreted these dreams, and that set Joseph up for the rest of his life as one of the leaders and rulers in all of Egypt. So Joseph went through all this. God still blessed him through all this, but yet he had these experiences of what he went through until these prophetic dreams that Pharaoh had of a famine coming to the land that Joseph interpreted correctly. He put together a strategy to have food ready when they experience famine. And everybody in the land now is coming to Egypt to get food, including Joseph's family, including Joseph's brothers. They came. Joseph saw his brothers, right? He's like, those are my brothers. But he didn't right away reveal himself to them. He let them kind of hang around, get some food, but he actually sent them on this journey back and forth, it's probably about a period of two years that they were coming back, of, back and forth while Joseph was working out his own thing. They, they, the story culminates, and we'll jump into it here, in Genesis 45 where Joseph sees his brother, sees his brothers, and he wants to hold the youngest one, Benjamin, which is now his father's favorite because that's the only one of his favorite that he has left. And Judah says, no, don't take my brother Jen- Benjamin. Take me instead. My father, he's already lost his favorite. He's already lost Joseph. If he he loses another son, I know it will kill him. I know he'll be dead. So Judah says, take me instead. Judah was willing to put himself in the place of his younger brother, Benjamin, and, and Joseph saw how his brothers had changed. He saw the transformation in him. And all of a sudden, we see as it picks up in Genesis 45, Chapter, uh, verse 1, it says, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by. And he cried out. He says, make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. He wept. And the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He says, check this out. God had a greater plan. He had a greater purpose. And this is the reason I'm here, to preserve life. For these two years of famine have been in the land, and there's still five years which are there will neither be plowing or harvesting And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus your son Joseph, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You see this outburst, this expression of emotion that Joseph could no longer contain himself between his brothers. A few chapters before, you see Joseph breaking down a few times. He starts to cry when he sees the state of his family in need, his brothers struggling just to get food. He hides himself and he, he begins to weep. But in this moment, he says, I can't take it anymore. I am Joseph. I am the one that you sold into slavery. A few things I just want to point out, and uh, we're going to have some awesome, amazing baby dedications this morning. One of the first things I want to point out is that Joseph, Joseph's tears reveal the trauma that still existed in his life. Right? As we read in prior chapters, as you get a chance to read, Joseph was thrown in a pit. You didn't see anything biblically about how he expressed himself. He didn't cry, he didn't weep, he didn't anguish or grieve. Just thrown in a pit, unjustly. Didn't know what was about to happen to him. Then he was sold into slavery. You don't see any emotion biblically, a record of what Joseph did. He didn't cry. He didn't freak out. He didn't like, oh, what's going on? None of that. Joseph gets wrongly accused of something he didn't commit by a woman he doesn't know, gets thrown into prison for years, and you don't see any show of emotion from Joseph biblically of how he responded to that. Does he cry? Does he weep? Does he anguish in the prison not knowing the expiration date on his prison sentence? No, we don't see any of that. But now, all of a sudden, when he's encountering his brothers, all of a sudden, everything inside him decides to come out. And he's weeping so loudly that the people in the the house of the kingdom, they're they're hearing him weep. They're hearing him wail. Such emotion expressed. When we go through issues and trials and, and situations in our life, they tend to have an expiration date on them. Our trouble tends to have a limit to what we experience in it, right? We get into troublesome situations and a period of time goes and and then there's an exit from that until we may find ourselves in a different situation. Our troubles, they don't last a long time. But our trauma tends to remain and linger. From troublesome issues, from troublesome problems, you may have been mistreated as a child or even abused. You're no longer in that troublesome situation anymore. You don't even have to worry about that anymore. But that trauma... Sometimes that have a, has an ability to stick to you. And when Joseph got face-to-face with his brothers, from all those things that he went through, that left a mark on him internally. And that all came gushing out. All came gushing out. In that moment of reconciliation, in that moment of healing between him and his family, there was a release of all that was pent up inside him. You may not be in trouble, and you may not have had troubles, t- troublesome situations last throughout the entirety of your life, but, but some of us in this room may be carrying the trauma that God wants to touch and heal. From certain memories, certain disappointments, certain offenses that you've received over the course of time, even within your family. Because all that happened to Joseph, it wasn't just what happened to him, right? Right? His brothers did an egregious thing. They did the unthinkable to their own brother, to their own blood. Think about your siblings. and what to the, You may be mad at them. You may have issues and disagreements. But would you go to lengths to actually try to put them in harm's way, cause them danger? I don't answer that question. Some of you may, may really want to. But it wasn't just what happened to Joseph. It was who it was by. It was, it was whose Hands were on it. It was his brothers, his blood, the ones that you would think that would step up for him and defend him and love him. But no, that had to have lasting impact. So Joseph dealt with trauma at this moment. And even though he had trauma from his past, Joseph demonstrated the principle of compassion. He demonstrated. He didn't say you know, go lock them all in prison and let them die in a prison cell because that's what they did to me. He didn't say that. Or even worse, he could have said, you know what, there's a famine in the land. You ain't got no food. Uh Uh-oh, we got a limit on what we got. Sorry, bro. (laughs) We gave you all that we can give you. Go back home to die. Can you imagine what Joseph was feeling and what he had the power to now do to the brothers that so perceivably messed up his life? Can you imagine the power that he had? Within his hands. He could have done anything he wanted to. But he said, no, 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 don't be afraid. I'm here for your benefit. You don't have to worry anymore. I got you. I got you. Even though he experienced a trauma from his past, demonstrate, Joseph demonstrated uh, compassion. And the last point I'll share, and if we can have the families that are doing baby dedications, I know we're getting anxious this morning. Uh, if you can prepare yourselves, because we're about to do the dedications this morning. And I'll share this last principle, and we can move forward with that. But Joseph demonstrated a level of compassion to his brothers. See, Joseph's brothers, once their father Jacob had died, they were afraid for their lives. They thought all that Jacob had done up until this point in sparing them was because Jacob was still alive. He wanted to still look right in the eyes of his father. He didn't want to cause his father any more heartache. But when Jacob died, they were literally afraid for their lives, and they sent messengers to Joseph not to kill them. And Joseph said this, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant this evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, don't be afraid, for I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Can you imagine that? What would your response be if somebody did all that to you? Close, blood, kin. Would you have the same response? Joseph had enough time to get face-to-face with God, develop the character of the Father, even through the trauma, even through all the pain, even through all the disappointment, the the, the issues that he had experienced all throughout his life to this point to still love his brothers and be kind. Isn't that the heart of the Father, though, to us, that no matter how much we offend God, no matter how much bad stuff we do, no matter how many issues we deal with on a day-to-day basis, and we purposely disobey and we go our own way and we rebel, that God would still empty everything out to show us his love, to still give us a son to show us his love, that he loves us so much, that no matter how much we offend and come against and don't line up with his heart, that he still to this day would give his son for us. That's the heart of the Father, and Joseph expressed that. And the the worship team, if you can come as well. I believe what helped Joseph do that would help him to have the heart of God. It was to focus on the purpose and plan of God rather than on what man did. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about the Mountain Church, please visit us at TheMTNChurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.